Welcome to the Year in the Bible podcast. I'm your host, Jay Smith. With me today, Travis, Bruno, and Jimmy Dole. We're picking back up in Mark chapter 14. We'll be starting here at verse 27. Before we get there, I want to remind you, as we do every single time we record a podcast, join us at read-scripture.com. That's an easy place for you to continue to follow along with us as we read through the Gospels in 2022. Uh, We are getting close to the end of Mark, and so we'll be starting Matthew here on March, actually April 3rd will be our first day in Matthew. And so uh, if you have anybody that hasn't been following along so far, but you may think they would be interested in joining us in the Gospels, that is when they can start, April 3rd. All right, gentlemen, we left off after the Lord's Supper, uh, Jesus sharing a Passover meal with his disciples. And here we are in verse 27. So then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, the gosh, my titles, the prediction of Jesus's denial or Peter's denial. Uh, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth today, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And all of them said the same thing. Travis, kick us off, man. Tell me the emotion of this moment. Tell me what you're pulling from this and and hearing the story. Because here's, I think that anybody that grew up in the church has at least a baseline knowledge of this story. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So how do you read this in new eyes? How do you see this in a way that that becomes um, even more colorful to you? Yeah, that is the one of the challenges. And Jimmy and I were talking a little bit before um, we got started uh, that this sort of part of the Gospels is one of the most familiar and the most central to like what I remember learning about in high school and when I was first a believer and all that stuff and like Jesus's death and his sacrifice and all of that. And so it it is a challenge and it's also hard because these are not parts like where he's teaching. There aren't necessarily the same kinds of lessons that we can draw out of the rest of or other parts of the gospels. Um, the only thing I was excited to, to uh, say is that I remembered Jimmy kind of hinting um, in chapter when we were going through chapter 13 about the, the rooster crowing and uh, and this is kind of another tie back to that when he says before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And um, like that was one of the things when he was talking about, wasn't it at the, towards the end of chapter 13 when he's saying even he doesn't know the time or the hour, but he kind of lists a couple of things. Jimmy, can you fill in the blanks for me? Yeah. At the end of 13, he says, Hey, stay awake, pay attention, stay alert. And you don't know when the master might be coming back. He might be coming in, when the rooster crows, he might be coming when the dawn comes. So stay alert and pay attention. And, you know, a chapter later, you've got, uh, as we're about to read, like you've got disciples who are falling asleep and Jesus making references to roosters crowing more than once. I think that he's, I, I think for Mark, uh, he's trying to give a clear picture to his audience. And again, I often think about how this would be if it was a movie, like if Jesus made those kind of comments, and then 10 minutes later, I'm seeing things that fit those comments pop up. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is what he was talking about earlier. You know, this, this kind of foretelling. And 
And again, I just want to encourage people, and we don't have time to do it here, but when you, when we know that an Old Testament passage is being quoted by Jesus, go back and look at it. Like, so this Zechariah passage, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a prophetic imagery and a story being told like, so where did you get these wounds that you have? Well, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. That's what's quoted right before this in Zechariah. Jesus is talking about being let down by his closest friends. Um, just as a fulfillment of that prophetic picture of somebody whose friends let them down and wound them deeply. Uh, the idea is the wounds between the wounds on my chest, the wounds between the hands, right? On your body. Where did you get those? I got them in the house of my friends. So go back and look at those. And they're not always like, if you keep reading Zechariah, you're going to be like, wow, how does this actually fit with what's happening? Cause it's going to be like the day of the Lord and the Gentiles are being punished and there's a plundering of the houses and all these things. But that little bit right around this quote is about that, that I think that human element of Jesus having everybody turn his back on him. And uh, it'd be really hard. Peter gets kind of a bum rap. Like Judas betrays Jesus. Peter betrays Jesus. But Jesus says here, man, you're all going to fall away. You're all going to turn your back on me. Uh, it's not just those guys. And I think there's something in that for all of us who are disciples, right? The truth is, is I have turned my back on Jesus. In, in so many ways, but he, you know, what he says at the meals, this is the new covenant poured out for many. And he has said earlier in the gospel that he is going to be the one that comes and, and is basically the redeemer and mediator for us all. So uh, that's true for his disciples in the moment and his disciples through all time, I think. Well, and I think it's also one of the things that I noticed from that is he also, once again, affirms the fact that he will rise, right? So, and after I'm raised, I will go before you back to Galilee. And we see that taking place in 16, which we'll, we'll go through in the next podcast, uh, is Jesus goes ahead of them. Tell, tell my, my disciples I will be in Galilee. So they hung out in the Jerusalem area, right? Probably back at Simon the leper's house, like without, I could look and probably it maybe says that, but they're hanging out. And, and once he is risen, he goes back to Galilee and the disciples uh, head that way as well. So now we're at the scene and this is, this is another one of those moments and, and just something I immediately, and and I don't think it's too far off, but, but then they went to a place called Gethsemane, which we always say the garden of Gethsemane, which is something we read into it. Uh, And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and be- and became very troubled and distressed. He said to them, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Remain here and stay alert. Going a little further, he threw himself to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour would pass before from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again and prayed the same thing. When he came again, he found them sleeping. They could not keep their eyes open. And they did not know what to tell him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough of that. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is is handed over into the hands of sinners. Get up and let us go. Look, my betrayer is approaching. The one who hands me over is approaching. That's right. Um, oh man, this is probably one of the most 
powerful passages to me in all of the Gospels. Just because of Jesus's agony, and I think it's Luke that says that he was he was so anguished that he was sweating blood. And you know, it was one of those things. Also, it was like the most disappointing experience of my time in Israel, because in my mind, I had had this vision of like being able to step into the like into the soil and like touching and like grabbing, like just feel like laying down prostrate, you know, like doing all of these things and you get there and it's at the church of all nations or whatever it's called. And it's all gated. I'm like, no. And then I had this like, Oh yeah, there's like a billion tourists that come to this region every single day that want the exact same thing. So I was like, Right. They would tear <sighs> off all the limbs of the olive trees. It would, it would just be dead. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And the stone would be chipped away. So when you go, like when people take a trip, like there is a, there is a garden uh, that, that they have kind of preserved of old ancient olive trees and olive trees, olive trees live a long time and are fruitful for a long time. So there's one there that's like 1500 years old or maybe older. Um, and then when you go in the church of all nations, there's a stone that's supposed to be the stone that Jesus threw himself down on and sweated blood, like the whole thing. Yeah, it it doesn't quite work. This it, what you're what you're describing doesn't quite work uh, in terms of recapturing it. Uh, Gethsemane means uh, olive press, by the way, and uh, it was there is a cave. There are there are two caves. There's a cave uh, at the bottom of the Mount of Olives that uh, was a venerated site, real ancient, like second, third century as being the cave where the olive press was. So you got to think about these guys are probably staying inside of a, a, inside of a cave. And Jesus probably went out and was praying in the olive groves and the, the vineyards that were around on the, on the side of the Mount of Olives when this was going place. So there is a, I mean, you know, there is a garden aspect to this. This was an agricultural place. Uh, and the disciples were probably sleeping inside that cave. It would be chilly at night this time of year in Jerusalem. It'd be cold. But he's going through this anguish, right? You don't see him sweating blood here like you do in some manuscripts of Luke. But, you know, my soul is anguished to the point of death, right? And he's taken his closest disciples out with him and they can't stay awake. Remember, Passover starts after sundown. It's a long meal. They've had lots of wine. And now they've walked from the old city, really south of the old city, the city of David area, down to uh, the Kidron and back up some portion of the Mount of Olives. These guys are probably exhausted. It's been a long day. And Jesus, though, Jesus can't sleep. He's worried about dying the next day. He's about to, he can't sleep. And he probably just wants their companionship. And he is referencing. So I want to go back a little bit to Mark chapter 13, what he says at the end. Stay awake then, because you don't know when the owner of the house will return, whether during the evening or at midnight when the rooster crows or at dawn or else he might find you asleep when he returns suddenly. And that word returns is actually when he comes suddenly it's, there's no return uh, in that verb itself. So it's this idea of like it, all of these words in 14 are kind of pointing back. These are the same words that Jesus mentioned. So there may be a time coming that Jesus is talking about, but for him and his disciples, the time was now. And uh, stay awake and pay attention. And maybe for disciples, the time always is now, right? That God is moving and doing things and, and be aware of the time that you live in. But it was happening for them, for sure. The turn of history is happening. I found this quote really powerful. And, uh, and I don't know, I just like to hear your thoughts on it. So it's from one of the commentaries I use, the pillar 
uh, New Testament commentary says, nothing in all the Bible compares to Jesus's agony and anguish in Gethsemane. Neither the laments of the Psalms nor the broken heart of Abraham as he prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac, nor David's grief at the death of his son Absalom, even speaks of Jesus's or Luke even speaks of Jesus's sweat falling to the ground like blots, drops of blood. And then he says the suffering of Gethsemane left an indelible print on the early church. Yeah, uh, I just thought that was pretty powerful. Like just making it in comparison to the whole story. I don't know. Yeah. Here's a passage from Hebrews. During his earthly life, Christ offered both requests and supplications to God, right? The ideas to God with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his devotion. We see this victorious triumphal entry. We want to make that a triumphal entry, uh, but it really wasn't a triumphal entry in the gospel. Of Mark, he comes in, he looks around, he leaves the temple and it's kind of like a, it doesn't really go anywhere. Then the next day he cleanses the temple, but for the whole time he's been in Jerusalem, he's been rejected. And now his own friends can't stay awake. One of his closest friends turns him over to his enemies who are wanting to kill him. Uh, one friend says, hey, I'm going to stick with you. And we know how that story is about to turn out. I mean, this is total abandonment here. And he's probably throughout his life, but definitely here, he's crying, crying out to the only one who has not abandoned him. Travis, anything you feel like is important for us not to skip over? Um. Only just that maybe others can relate in the sense of, you know, the question that you had asked before, like, how do we read this part of the gospel and what do we take from it or what do I take from it? And I think the only thing that I do when when I read through this part is like, I just sit and I mean, listen to it in my own mind, I guess. Um, I mean, and I'm just agreeing and shaking or nodding my head as you guys are talking, like, just the weight of it. Um, and the only thing that I wonder in the sorrow and kind of this emotion that we see expressed, like I, I wonder, and I you know, I don't know how I can go look back specifically, but thinking in the old Testament of like how God has felt with his people and the way that his people had continued to turn their back on him and like how that maybe parallels here. But, mm. um, yeah, hard. there's, there's a, and, and Jimmy, you can correct me or, or fill in the blank, but there's a, somebody wrote a book called the suffering, the suffering of God or the, mm-hmm. I don't it's know. I right Just, yeah. And one of the things that, and this comes back to numerous conversations, Jimmy and I've had in our past, like whenever, uh, whenever the Israelites push to get a King, right. So they can be like everybody else in their world. Like, hey, you know, these other nations have kings. We want a king. And Samuel was just like, no, man, like God is king. And in the language I've always been resonated with this is God turns to Samuel and God speaks back to Samuel. He says, give them a king because it's not you've rejected you who they've rejected. It's me like this rejected like you could almost and maybe I'm projecting this into God, but I do think that there's like this almost heartbreak in that moment of just his people once again, rejecting him, you know, or rejecting him there and Jesus being able to feel that like tangibly uh, in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I would just ask, like for those that are listening, and I don't know how often we do this in the podcast, but like, I also want to know what everybody else, like the emotion that 
you draw out of it? Like, I mean, the same questions that we've been sort of answering for ourselves, but I, I want, <clears throat> excuse me. I want to know what, how other people see it and like the emotion and the way that they relate to it. Cause I think part of it is like, you know, we all can understand suffering from the kinds of suffering in our own lives. And um, so we, we have kind of a different color to our own lens, but I think all of that and as it just relates um, to this story is helpful to me, I guess. So I just, can I just, can I answer that for a second? I think that, I mean, I, I I'm the host, so I'll do whatever I want to do. And as I'm listening to this, like, I don't know, I just maybe going to be a little too introspective, but just like in a real tangible time where I think it's easy to question uh, the validity or the power or the assurance of God, right? Like just with all the hell breaking loose in our world, like it's really easy to give in to disbelief uh, or despair, you know, and one of the same or both. And there's just this part, like sometimes I need this reminder of like how like the powerful retelling of the story, not only does it give me more like confidence in the fact that there were like, this is a, a, a complex and then powerful story to just make up from thin air. Number one is something I always am like, if they were all just making this up, like what a complex, beautiful, powerful story about the story of God. But, but the thing that really speaks to me in seasons like this is like, um, and Hebrews, I think the author of Hebrews nails these perspectives better than, I mean, I would say better than Paul, not as if it's competition, but just like, you know, he, we don't have a great high priest who can't sympathize, right? He suffered, he endured. And I think about this in the context of betrayal, his best friends, abandonment, loneliness, beatings, like there's not one thing that God himself did not take upon himself that he can't look at us in our struggle, hurt, heartache, despair, and not say, I understand. Like I've, I, I, I've experienced that with you. Um, and that's just, for me, it's the thing that makes Christ so unique in comparison to any other religion I've studied right? Is this the suffering reality of God? Um, anyway, just some yeah. things I'm walking through. Yeah. I think it is unique to Christianity. The idea of the incarnation that God is in Jesus suffering for the world, uh, suffering in the world and for the world and because of the world uh, is, a, is a unique thing. God is not absent. Emmanuel, right? God with us. Uh, and you know, I'll call it, I mean, Jay, I've known you now for what? I don't know how many years. So long. 25 years, minimally. 25 years. Uh, Travis, I've known you since you were a baby. And um, I, I just think about relationships. Like Jesus, he has these guys that he's close to. Maybe he's only known them for a few years. I don't know. But they're obviously very close to him. Like the idea that the two of you might betray me at a time where my life is on the line would be worse than the beating. Wouldn't it? The heart wrenching part of that. 
So Judas coming up and greeting a common kiss, it'd be, you know, kissing was a, a common way to greet each other. But the fact that that's the, that's the, uh, that's the nod. That's the secret message that's going out to those who are about to arrest Jesus is actually one of, of love and trust. And Jesus just, he takes that kiss and he knows, he knows what's happening. Uh, he knows they're all going to turn their backs on him. He probably wishes that that wasn't true. Maybe he's actually hoping maybe they all won't, but he knows it's coming. I mean, it seems like that's the part that like, not that, well, that's the part that breaks him. Like he's not still fighting and struggling while he's getting flogged. And while he's on the cross, like it's, this is the moment when he's wrenching his guts out and not to say that he gives up, but like he gives up fighting in a sense. And from this point, like he's just kind of resigned to the reality of the rest of this day. Yeah. I just think that's interesting. Like, I mean, that, that that's just what popped when you were saying. One well, the other thing, Trav, is there are moments where I'm like, so just, just this past week, there's somebody in, in our church that experienced loss in their family. And I said verbatim, like, man, I'm just so thankful that you have such a great support group and a community that surrounds you. And uh, because we know the importance of people in the worst moments, right? Like Jimmy Doyle. Like I remember my best friend died of a heart attack. I think it was you. Didn't you call me? Mm-hmm. We talked on mm-hmm. the way. Like I was on Britain Road about to get on Hefner Parkway to rush to the hospital. And I think we all know the value of our people being with us in the worst moments. And just like to throw another layer of agony upon the shoulders of Christ uh, in this in this this moment. Um and when I was in Israel, man, and I think this is an old wives tale because one of the neatest spots that I went to in Jerusalem itself was the, uh, what would have been Caiaphas's kind of house, uh, the mm-hmm. high priest's house. And underneath the house, they have these like kind of jail, jail cells that, you know, people are like this, Jesus could have been here, which is, you know, kind of what happens in Israel. Jesus could have been over there. Uh, Jesus could have been here. And you're like, yeah, I mean, potentially possibly. Uh, and then one of the things that they said, and I don't know if this is true because right outside of, in the courtyard, outside of Caiaphas's house is the statue of Peter, basically this betrayal that's happening here in 43. Uh, excuse me. What happens here a little bit later is where Peter denies Jesus. And, one of the things they said is there's like a potential that they could have actually like Jesus was close enough by that. He could have actually heard Peter's denying him in that moment. Now, like I said, it's probably a wives tale or something, but the distance isn't far enough to not potentially have that reality. Um, So anyway, I don't know. It's just as profound to me. Yeah. We're going to push through with chapter 14, uh, but we don't want to miss any of the fact that this is just, I mean, we're going to do this four times <laughs> in different ways, retelling the story of, of Good Friday. And so um, I'm going to paraphrase through the betrayal, uh, the handing over right away while Jesus was still speaking. Judas, one of the 12, arrived when the, went with him 
came a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent by the chief priests and experts of the laws and elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. This is what Jimmy alluded to. So when Judas arrived, he went up to Jesus immediately and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they took, then they took hold of him and arrested him. One of the bystanders drew his sword and struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his ear. Jesus said to them, you come with swords and clubs to arrest me like you would an outlaw. Day after day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, yet you did not arrest me. But this has happened so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled, and a young man was following him, wearing only a linen cloth. They tried to arrest him, but he ran off naked, leaving his linen cloth behind. Anything from this moment that stood out to either one of you just makes me mad like every part of the rest of this story like and you know because i know i don't know it just makes me mad every time i read it like that he would do it do it with a kiss like it just hurts so that's just where i'm at yeah you know, I mean, there's some things we'll be able to point these things out later too. And the other, like you said, in the other gospels, like he's just not leading a rebellion here. He's conquering by not fighting. He's winning by not trying to win. And he is loving by being unloved by even his closest friends. And then there's a naked follower. Yeah. Running off naked. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know who that is, right? <laughs> the early like, church came up with the story that this was actually Mark himself. This is a way of Mark uh-huh. kind of putting himself in the story without, it's kind of the wink. It's like the old Carol Burnett. Burnett. I don't know if you guys remember that show. You don't. You're too young. Where there's like a, a secret. Yeah, you just said you ear. knew Travis from a baby. Yeah, I did. I did know Travis. When you he were watching Carol Burnett and he was a baby. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He doesn't even know. <laughs> Travis, there were things called tube televisions. I don't know. Well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and this was me. I'm the one with the linen that was pulled off. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh gosh. So let's just rapid fire a little bit through you know some of the most substantial stories in the history of the world. So, uh, fifty three. Then they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the experts in the law came together. And Peter had followed him from a distance up to the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the guards and warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find anything. Many gave false testimony against him, but the testimony did not agree. Some some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands and in three days build another not not made by hands. Yet even on this point, their testimony did not agree. So let me stop for a second. Jimmy, maybe just a real quick, who are the Sanhedrin? Uh, Sanhedrin, the governing court of Jewish elders. There are actually Sanhedrin's multiples, but this is the great Sanhedrin. The high priest would have oversat it and kind of also there would have been what would be called a leader of the Sanhedrin, who at this time would have been one of the rabbis. Traditionally, this was Shammai setting over it, but the high priest actually leads it. And there had been several high priests who had been kind of deposed and so you have Caiaphas, who is the son-in-law of a high priest named uh, Ananias. And so there's some, in some of the other gospels, it seems like Ananias is pulling the strings. It's really not mentioned here, but they're meeting at his house initially, which is what you were talking about earlier, Galicantu. And, uh, and they're going to pass judgment on Jesus now, where they, all, where they do all that may be up in question. 
really this isn't, if you read Jewish law from a century or two later, this was, was an illegal court. They're not supposed to meet at night. They're not supposed to meet at this time during a festival. They're not supposed to pass judgment this quickly. You can't have someone incriminate themselves. Blasphemy is actually uh, when you take the, you say the name of God uh, out loud. Uh, Jesus does none of those things. None of those things really take place. There's no way that Jesus is not found guilty in this trial. And just as a reminder, before we get to this next part is, is remember as you read this, the messianic secret that Mark is working toward throughout Mm -hmm. his entire gospel. So in verse 60, then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, have you no answer? What is this that they are testifying against you? But he was silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your verdict? They all condemned him as deserving death. Then some began to spit on him and blindfold him to strike him with their fists, saying, Prophesy. The guards also took him and beat him. So Jesus affirms his identity. Uh... I don't know. I was struck by that as I reread through this is that this is, I don't know. It's not like in the same way you're talking about those movie scenes, like they're off the readers and the hearers of Mark would have caught that. Um, Jesus identifying himself in front of these people. Right. Right. And this would be a moment where you wouldn't want to identify yourself as that. I mean, his life is (laughs) right. Right. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different passages here. A lot of different, this is when we talked about, uh, some Daniel images. You've got Daniel seven talking about the son of man coming to the clouds of heaven. You've got some different kind of Psalms that are in here. Uh, Psalm one ten. there's just a bunch of references here. So when you do read this, just make sure you take some time to go back and read the context of where those are found. So anything I'm missing from that, cause I don't want to miss, I don't want to move too fast. Uh, I can't remember if you read through 65 or 65, but uh, then some began to spit on him and blindfold him and strike him mm-hmm. with their fists saying prophesy. The guards also took him and beat him. The irony of that is that he's already foretold that three times. He's already said, they're going to beat me. Like that was prophetic. And now they're actually doing what he prophesied and challenging him to pro- like, they're actually fulfilling a prophecy by doing what they're doing. And they don't even realize it. Like he doesn't have to prophesy at this moment. He's already done it. Um, and I think that's something that the readers would also pick up on. Like, oh, he's already, he told us this was going to happen. So concluding here in uh, 66, 1466. Now, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the high priest slave girls came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked directly at him and said, you were also with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it. I don't even understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the gateway and the rooster crowed. When the slave girl saw him, she began to say, she began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them, but he denied it again. A short time later, the bystanders again said to Peter, you must be one of them because you are also a Galilean. Then he began to curse and he swore an oath. I do not know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered when Jesus said to him before the rooster crowed twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Travis, 
once once again, one of these scenes that are definitely very familiar to us, but in a reread as you kind of walk into this, what are things that stood out to you that maybe hadn't in the past? Uh, one of the things I realized and wonder, what are the chances that a Galilean wouldn't know who Jesus was? Like, I, I feel like, and you know, I'm just assuming things, I guess, but his reaction to this girl is like a huge overreaction. Like to say that, like, you have no idea who this guy even is. Like at this point, I imagine the word has spread enough that everybody at least has heard of this Jesus. And so it's like, well, that's dumb. Like, you, you know who he is, but right. he's just desperate. I don't know. Yeah. It's the obvious, you know, you're obviously lying. Yeah. And again, you know, this is another thing. Uh, they just said that Jesus prophesy, and this is another fulfillment of something Jesus has said is going to happen. And it's terrible mm-hmm. that it has to be Peter, you know, that Peter's the one I'm going to watch. I'm going to stay with you. Everybody's going to forsake, forsake you, but not me. And this moment would be, uh, I mean, I, you know, there are moments where I feel like I have let Jesus down, you know, that I have somehow betrayed Jesus, but we can somehow kind of remove ourselves from this story. This really happened, right? There was a betrayal. There was a handing over. There was a trial. There was a crucifixion. It'd be hard to argue that they didn't happen. And uh, there is a memory within the early church of somebody that's lifted up as a leader there's a memory of that person doing the most unthinkable thing ever. Peter, the leader of the church, is somebody who couldn't stand up for Jesus while he's being tried for his life and will be crucified. Uh, I think that that points to this being an absolutely true story. No leader wants that story to be known about themselves. That would be a kind of story you hide. But in the early church, this is not a hidden story. Uh, Peter. This guy that we follow, who's the chief of, you know, one of the chiefs of all the apostles, uh, is somebody who also betrayed Jesus. Uh, it wasn't just Judas, you know. Yeah. It seems like a great place to stop our time together. Uh, that was chapter 14. And um, I don't know. I, I hope you all can kind of feel the sentiment that that we feel as we're recording this is this matters. Um, this matters. And, and that's what we're doing here as we engage the gospels is we want to know the story of Jesus, uh, and to help his love transform our lives. So we just encourage you to join us along on this journey, read dash scripture.com. Uh, chapter 14 and 15 and 16 are going to move quickly. And we're going to be in Matthew before you know it. So let's read the scripture together. Let's uh, glean from it, whatever we can. Let's have some conversations together on the forum there. So thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next week for 15 and 16.